0: hello and welcome to the guna Tour. back again with you guys for another show for another episode of our let's talk arsenal series show which we have a sit down chat about the club and because it's the international break i thought it'd be a good time to have a look back over the season and who better to do it with than andrew aka Ars block how do mate are you well are you good i'm good thank you very much tom how are you yeah, very good. Thank you. I mean, I I can't kind of ask a few people this, but what's your your biggest tip for how to get through the international break from a Arsenal men's watching perspective?
1: Um, find another hobby. Find something else you enjoy <laughs> doing because there's going to be no football for a couple of weeks. It does feel this season, doesn't it? Like these international breaks are really long because mm. you know normally at this point you'd be playing, you know, the league games and there'd be the Europa League games or, or European games. So there's sort of like a a glut of football and and there are times where you feel like you need a break. But at the moment, it's like I don't want it to. I don't want to stop because things are going so well and yeah. the games are coming along every seven days. Sometimes it's like, you know, if you're playing on a Friday and then you're not playing until the following Monday, we've had some long breaks, I think, as well. So there hasn't quite been enough football. So there's nothing we can do other than, you know, find something else to do in the next two weeks that don't involve um, Arsenal men because
0: there aren't any. No. Well, we've got Arsenal women's to watch, which is going to be yeah, exciting, very true, of course. Yeah, very uh, And the youth team. Yeah, they're doing fantastically well. The youth team as well are playing, who uh, are also having a very good season under Kevin Betsy and uh, and we'll have plenty more content for you guys as well. And I'm sure there'll be a couple of tidbits of transfer news trickling through the lines as always, as we head towards that fabled winter window. But I mean, you said there it was interesting that the start of the season was, it was disappointing. Um, but in the context of these last 10 fixtures of which we've gone unbeaten and seeing kind of the additions that have been added to the squad since that game against Manchester City, where we've seen Gabriel and White form this partnership, Nuna Tavares has come in, Congas there, Partey's return from injury, Martin Odegaard's been introduced, Aaron Ramsdale and, and of course Takahiro Tomiyasu has changed things dramatically. So mm. as an overall perspective, how have you found this season?
1: Well, look, I, like everybody, I found the opening three games really, really tough because um, they were terrible, and it was terrible, and and everything that happened in those opening three games and around those three games was was really terrible, and I think part of it was that it fed into our worst fears about what might happen this season and about what Arsenal might be this season because when you go into a new season, even when you know there's work to do in the transfer window, you you have this this bit of optimism this bit of hope simply because it is a new season you know it's a whole new campaign you're going on a clean slate and you're looking for everything to be good and you're you know as realistic as you might be you kind of think well what if we got a result against chelsea what if somehow we got a result against man city and you know if we can beat brentford it could be a decent start to the season then everything went terribly wrong so um you know I, i was Worried, I have to say I was really quite worried, Tom, because uh, I didn't know how this group of players were going to recover. I didn't know what we were going to see from them. I didn't know if the pressure, which was clearly um, intense on Mikel Arteta would be something that got to him or got to the board or, or whatever it might be. I was worried uh, that we were in a bad place. And, you know, two months down the line, I'm feeling a lot better about where we are and what we've done. And, you know, there were the three games that we lost really demanded a response in the games that we had to come. And I think the fixture list has been pretty friendly, so let's not um, ignore that. But at the same time, all you can do is go out and play the games and take the points. And we've done that twenty points from from the eight games has me feeling a lot more positive. And like you say, there've been some changes to the makeup of the squad, to the makeup of the team, to the system, to the formation, to the performances, all Mm -hmm. of which would make you think that we're going in, we're beginning to go in the right direction. It's not like everything is fixed yet, but it's certainly a lot better than it
0: was. What still needs fixing for you? Because obviously we've, we're 10 games unbeaten at this point and the, the most optimistic Arsenal fan would turn around and say we just need to sit down and enjoy the ride. But we know yeah. that with Arsenal, we're going to face some challenges and if we don't iron out some of the creases that do remain, then we will fall foul of those. So what for you are those those areas of development that we still need to push on from?
1: Um I- I still think chance creation and goal scoring is something I'd like to see uh, us improve at. Um, you know, the Watford game is a case in point. I think we were thoroughly deserved winners of that game, but it was only 1-0, and it could have been via a deflection off someone's arse or a corner or a piece of brilliance from the opposition or a mistake yeah. from us. You know, you think about what Aaron Ramsdale did towards the end of the <laughs> game. You yeah. know, that, that that would have changed the complexion of that result. Um So I do think that's still a bit of an issue. And I think control in games for periods, there are too many periods in games for too long where we're sitting, sitting off the opposition and we're not necessarily as aggressive as we need to be to win the ball back and to change the momentum of the games. But you know those are things that perhaps are a consequence of having a um uh, if i use the word immature i mean it in the best possible way because this is still a very very young team you know as we said on the someone uh, sent us a tweet for the ArsCast cast extra on on monday and ainsley maitland niles at 24 was the third oldest player in the arsenal team which is amazing you know yeah. it really is an incredible thing to think that that is where we are. So when I, when I talk about a lack of maturity, it's, it's only that I'm not uh, using it to be critical. I think we can learn. And I think these players will learn uh, how to control games and how to deal with certain scenarios. But um, yeah, those would be the two things I think that would give me the most uh, pause for thought because other aspects of where we are defending organization, all of those things appear to be a lot better.
0: Uh, Owen Young in the chat says Spurs was the real test then Villa was the real test then Leicester was the real real test what is going to be the actual real test for this Mikel Arteta team I mean we've got Liverpool next is obviously going to be a a big test for this yeah, Arsenal team yeah. but uh, <laughs> but is it a, do you think that we because some people have described that game as a bit of a free hit for Arteta because Liverpool are so good but then have obviously dropped five points yeah. from their last two games so do you look yeah. at that game were you looking at that game I suppose before the results against Brighton and West Ham as a bit of a you know we can go to Anfield want a really good run you know we've done so well we can kind of afford to drop points in that game it, we don't go there with all of the pressure on us to pick up a victory the pressure is very much going to be all on Liverpool to win mm. that game so do you get the idea of a free hit or is it more is it more important than that I
1: think people spoke about uh, about the Man City game as a bit of a free hit, didn't they? Because we weren't expected to win that and we lost 5-0 and everyone's going crazy. Yeah. Uh, so look, I, I there's two ways you could look at it, I guess. One is that Brighton and West Ham have shown that Liverpool are not infallible, that they're a team that has some flaws, like every team uh, has mm-hmm. its flaws. But I think we've seen Liverpool have little periods like this before and then they've come back very very strongly you know you don't do what they've done over the last few years without being super resilient and and that's my worry is that they've they've been bitten on the arse and they will want to come back strong in their next game after the international break um so look you know if we play well and if they don't play well there's no reason why we can't take something from them um i'd like to see the game be competitive even if we don't win if we can go there and be competitive we can look at that as some kind of a positive um not that you can uh, you can really take positives from losing but you know what i mean you there there are ways of yeah. losing there's ways of losing like if you're going toe-to-toe with liverpool and you end up you know the wrong side of a three two um that's probably something you can take more from than getting spanked five nil you know what i mean Um, But to answer the question about what the real test is, the real test is consistency. Um, The real test is uh, being able to deal with a setback or a setback or two, because those will come this season. There's no two ways about it. You know, we're going to have... Games and performances that aren't quite at the level that we want them to be. So, how do we respond? How quickly can we respond? What is the reaction of the players? What, what even is the reaction of the fans and the supporters? Uh, to, to, sorry, I'm not getting emotional, just a little frog in my throat. But, uh, <laughs> my but, <laughs>
0: you
1: know, uh, I think that is the test. You know, what happens when it goes wrong? What happens when this unbeaten run comes to an end? Uh, and how do they regroup? How do they? How do they pick themselves up? And and can they then produce another run like that? Because if you do 10 games unbeaten, you lose a game, do another 10 games unbeaten. I mean, that's pretty decent. Um, that yeah. is being able to, to produce consistently, and that's what we're going to need to do. Um, we can't just... You know, we can be positive about what we've done in these two months, and absolutely we can, and we should be, and we should enjoy it because it's better, it's improved, you can see the green shoots, you can see where we could make progress, you can see how something is building, something is coming together, but it is only two months, and we need to do this between now and May. If we want to finish in the European places, we can't bank on a two-month two, two month period of quite good to get us there we need another 6 months of of quite good and pretty good so that for me is the real test not so much the individual games where you know you're at the mercy of a a good team or a referee or a decision or whatever it might be it really is how we comport ourselves over the rest of this season i think that will tell us if we really are going uh, in the right direction and how quickly we're going to get there
0: it's interesting you say European places are not committing to saying kind of the top four of a race because I mean I was the same at the start of the season I said look this team for me this squad I look at Arsenal's squad as the fifth best in the league I'd look at I don't think there's I look at four teams that have got better squads and I include Man United in that I don't think their managers are getting the best out of them by any means but I think their squad is better man for man than, than Arsenal's and obviously you've got Chelsea Liverpool. Um, and Manchester City too. But I think West Ham are are doing a brilliant job under David Moyes. And I think there are other teams that wanted to be obviously fighting a lot more than they currently are, like Everton, I think, under Rafa wanted to be. We know that Spurs wanted to be, and that's why they've made such a drastic managerial change so soon. But with how Manchester United are faltering and their ownership of being very stubborn about, uh, thankfully, being very stubborn about uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's position at the club, at what point does your terminology of using European places as the aim turn into a top four aim? And is it, say, if we're within touching touching distance, and what I mean by that is, you know, we're still within, say, three points of the top four by Christmas fixtures are arsenal then in a top four race and is that then the the target that will be measured by by the end of the season
1: yeah look i mean you can adjust your parameters what you think is going to be a successful Mm. season like if 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 we do something like leicester did last year right where where they were basically in the champions league places the whole season and then fell away right at the end i think we consider that a bit of a failure but if you were to say to somebody well you're going to spend most of the season in the top four they might might say that's a success it, you know so much of this is dependent on on the context and how it comes about you know i know exactly what you're saying we're on 20 points right now um what's what's fourth place is that also 20 and, points Am I right, no, second 20 place
0: points? is three points away
1: yeah you know so
0: yeah.
1: we're we, we've put ourselves in the picture or in the in the ballpark where um you know that kind of conversation can happen without it being absurd Whereas after Mm -hmm. the opening three games of the season, it certainly would have been absurd. You know, personally, if you'd asked me before the start of the season what would be considered a successful season for Arsenal based Mm -hmm. on everything that we've seen and the competition and everything else, I would have said, look, if we can get back into the top six, more points on the board, progress in how the team is developing, I think you could say that is a successful season. But, you know, if we're in January and we're there or thereabouts in the top four or in the mix with the top four, then why shouldn't our ambition be to try and finish that high? Mm. You know, why why shouldn't it be? We may not get there, but at least we're sort of um, setting a standard or, or or raising the bar to a point where, where it's not unrealistic. I think, you know, a few weeks ago even people would have said Arsenal – even being close to the top four at this point would have been unrealistic, but here we are. Mm. So you don't know. And look, you're right to say United have a very good squad and maybe it'll come together for them. West Ham have been amazing uh, over the last 12 months, maybe under David Moyes, but they've also got Europe to contend with. And, you know, are those, tired legs in the second half of the season are they going to pick up injuries when they're in the Europa League and all that kind of stuff you know so there are things which could work in our favor which is why I come back to what I said earlier about consistency and about us doing what we need to do on a consistent basis Um, you know we're going to have to prove ourselves against some of the good teams coming up we've got Manchester United I think we've got Everton uh, Liverpool Liverpool, you you know so there's a big big chunk of games coming up, these next four games that we've got in the Premier League, which look, they could propel us into a a kind of stratosphere of giddiness and glee and happiness (laughs) or they could bring us right back down to earth, you know? Mm. They could bring us down to earth. So uh, I I think I I really liked what Mikel Arteta said after the was it the Villa game where he was asked about the recent form and he said, we've done nothing. We've won a few games, that's it. And I think he's very focused on keeping these players with their feet very much on the ground. Um, I think as fans, we're allowed to dream a bit. We're allowed to get carried away a bit. Why not? It's been a difficult few years. So if we can start to dream a bit, or if we've got this sense of belief or optimism that's swelling within us, why not? Why not go along with that? And look, we'll deal with whatever comes when it comes. But I think what I liked about what Arteta said was you know, he wants people to stay humble, I think was the word that he used and he wants them to stay focused. And I think there is a need to do that because we won't get the results that we do, or we need to get, if, if people get carried away. And when I say people, I mean, players in the squad, if any complacency starts slipping in, we will be punished at this level. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see where we are. And I'm, I'm really pleased for everybody, for all of us as fans, because we've, we've had a difficult time. The club has had a difficult time. And uh, at the end of the day, we all want Arsenal to do well. So I'm pleased for all of us that, you know, we can see that maybe there's, you know, there's something there that we can really go for.
0: As is when the club is doing well, um, it's very opportunistic for uh, our ownership to then step forwards and uh, and have their say on the situation. You, I didn't see them coming out after the three defeats. Edu certainly did, and, and you know, Would props you? to him. Yeah, well, maybe I might be a bit braver than Josh Kroenke. <laughs> maybe that's part of being a YouTuber. Um, but when it comes down to the ownership, we know that Stan is, is very... In my mind, I don't even look at Stan Kroenke as the owner of Arsenal right now, because for me, it is very much Josh. Josh mm. is the face of KSE in regards yep. to Arsenal. And that in itself... I kind of like seeing him come out and speak and he's very good at speaking and he's very good at convincing, you know, the, the odd listener that, that we are moving in the right direction and that they've been doing a good job for all of these years. Like, He speaks very well, but we know that obviously the reality is that big mistakes have been made. The Super League obviously was something that happened still very fresh. It happened this year, believe it or not. It was like a million years ago, oh, but it was this year. It. Um, and of course we've, we've regressed in under their tenure since their involvement from, I believe it was 2007 to the the full takeover in 2018, we've regressed in that time. So when you heard him talking about Arsenal in two senses, he first of all said that he didn't want to be judged on a 48 hour period, which seemed ridiculous. And then Mm. he also talked about how he, he was very kind of pushing the idea that they've only had really full control, which is true. They have had full control over the club since 2018, but there's been a whole, you know, 11 years prior to that, that they've had an influence at the club. What did Mm. you make of of those types of comments?
1: Well, you know, I have to, I have to say, I found them a bit disingenuous, to be honest. Mm. You know, the, I don't believe the Super League thing was a 48 hour thing at all. I think that's been brewing in the background at top level. Uh, among European football clubs and executives for a long, long time. So I don't believe that this was a surprise decision. I think what really surprised them was the backlash, the backlash from fans and not just Arsenal fans. You know, um, fans of all clubs hated this idea mm-hmm. uh, and it forced them into a into a rethink. I think they thought they could just do it um, because they've been cooking it up in the background for a long time. Um, the other thing about being in sole Charge from 2018... Yes, that's true, but they've been the majority shareholder since, what, 2010 or 2011, something yeah. like that. They've been involved since 2007 and I get, people make the argument like, well, why would you invest in something when the, somebody else owns 30 odd percent of it and if you invest, you're only increasing their share value. It only makes it more expensive to buy that person out. Um mm. But at the end of the day, you still had full control. You still were the ultimate decision makers, and you still had a responsibility as the owners of the football club to do what was best for the football club, not your, um, uh, not how much it was going to cost you to buy it out, for example. You know, mm. so I found those comments a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't really like. Those comments, I can see why he's making them. There are people, people will say, Well, that makes sense. I still think they had a big responsibility to Arsenal as the main shareholders, and it was 60 odd percent, it was 69 percent, it wasn't like you know 51 49, it wasn't that kind of a situation. Mm. They had full control over everything, and ultimately everything we did as a football club had to be greenlit and sanctioned by them as the owners, as the majority shareholders. They were in control. And, um, yeah, I don't think you can just sort of walk away from that responsibility by saying, well, we've only had 100% control since 2018. On the flip side, what I would say is we've often, as a fan base, taken issue with the fact that KSE have been silent they've been in the background they've been disinterested they haven't been present they haven't been in london and uh, he is he's Mm. there um i believe he's around a lot more um than is publicly known i mean you see him there in certain games but uh, i believe he has been around quite a lot more so if you're looking for positives that's a positive. You want your owners to be invested and to be interested and to be on top of things. And I think too many things happened at Arsenal over the last number of years because they were not on top of it. They weren't there. They didn't really know. They deferred to people that they shouldn't have deferred to. They trusted people maybe they shouldn't have trusted. And Arsenal paid the price for that in various aspects of, of how our seasons have gone, some of the transfer deals that we've done and all of that kind of stuff. And that's a consequence of, of them being at arm's length, not paying enough attention. Mm. So if I'm looking for a positive from it, it's the fact that at least they are doing that now. And, and that's what you expect from owners. Josh Kroenke and KSE still have a lot to prove. And they're probably never going to win everyone over. They're probably not going to win a lot of people over, but if we're complaining about them not being there, we can't then complain when they are there and at least are are, are trying to address some of the issues that fans have problems with. So mm-hmm. let's see what happens. Um, you know, he, he's a good talker. You're right. You know, he is a good talker. I think a career in in politics or whatever it might be no. could away, like, You know what I mean? But he's yeah. that kind of a guy where, you know, he's asked a question, he sort of agrees, you know, he's a good talker, a bit like Ivan Gazidis used to be, where mm-hmm. you listen to him and think, hey, that guy knows what he's talking about. And then afterwards, you you realize, well, what what did he actually say of any substance there? Some people are just good talkers.
0: Yeah, I was I think that's that was Rishi Sunak during the start of the pandemic. I was like, oh this this guy seems to know what he's talking about, and then it all went to you know what so uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you get so many people like that. Um let's let's dip into the chat box before we wrap up and get a couple mm-hmm. of questions from the listeners uh, of a different variety. Uh, King, uh, one of our members, is asking, uh, to Andrew, what type... I love that, to Andrew. It like, doesn't care for my opinion. Uh, to Andrew, what type of midfielder would you uh, want us to sign in January? A more defensive style like Besuma, or a more creative one like Bruno Guimaraes or a Fabian Ruiz?
1: I would really like somebody who who is... I talked earlier about the lack of control that we have at certain aspects of the game. So somebody who with the kind of aggression and ball winning capacity to get, I think we've got lots of creative players. I don't really worry too much about how creative we are. I do think we could use a really aggressive, physical dominant ball winning midfielder. So if that's Bissouma or somebody of that um, kind of caliber or that profile, I think that's the player that I would prefer um, to be honest, you know, Uh, just, just that kind of physicality that maybe we're missing in midfield. Um, You know, if you think about who is the most physical central midfield player we have, it's probably Granit Xhaka. Mm -hmm. And his brand of physicality isn't always uh, on point for the Premier League, you know? So somebody else to do that job, to win the ball back, to, to make the tackles, et cetera, so.
0: Yeah, and I think if Arteta wants to move to that 4-3-3, which he seems to be, you know, he's got that in his mind and Lacazette's not going to be here forever. So maybe that's that number six that does sit is is what he's going to want um, for the future. Uh, Philip Crudson uh, Crudson says, uh, Is Gabriel the most all-round centre-back since Colo or Sol? Possibly. I love that he throws in Gabriel Paulista if he was given a chance. I think that Philip was a bit of a cult hero of Gabriel (laughs) at one point. What do you make of our, our Brazilian legend at the back? uh (laughs) there's a loaded question what do you make of our brazilian legend (laughs) what do you make of our greatest center back we've ever had yeah yeah
1: look i i like everybody i've been really really impressed with him this season i think he had a i think he had a decent first season at arsenal but you can understand why there might have been some some difficulties some ups and downs he was still very young only 22 learning the language having to play alongside David Luiz, got COVID, got some injuries. You know, I think fluctuations in his first season were always going to be um, normal, particularly for – I think we forget sometimes just how young 22, 23 is for a central defender, mm-hmm. you know, at this level, at the top top level. Um, so this season I've been really, really impressed. And what's what's been striking for me is, A, the physicality that he brings, the presence that he brings to the heart of our defense – some strength. We don't feel like a pushover anymore when he's in there. Um, but also, in the absence of Granit Shaka, he's been a guy who has taken on a lot of the possession mantle. You know, if you look at the statistics from a lot of our games in the last couple of months, he has had the most touches, he's made the most passes. Um, which wasn't necessarily something I was expecting from him. So I think defensively he's been really good. I think his is on the ball work is better. He looks comfortable. He looks settled, doesn't he? He looks like yeah. he he looks like he really feels comfortable now in this team. like he's he's ready to express himself on the pitch and in terms of his character, in terms of his leadership, in terms of his aggression, in terms of his ball winning, uh, you know, the defending that he does. And uh, it's a very interesting partnership with Ben White early days so far. But I think it has the potential to be something uh, that we haven't necessarily seen since maybe Mertesacker Koscielny. And remember, those were two very senior players when they really started to mesh together, you know, so... We've got Ben White, who's 23, Gabriels, 23. You know, if it goes well, we've got something that could be part of the uh, part of the the future for for quite some years to come. And you know, to think of two really good players growing together and, and reaching their peak at Arsenal would be fantastic.
0: William Saliba as well to come back as another young, well, yeah. impressive Well, I mean, there
1: is another thing. Like I know everyone's really hung up on the Saliba thing, but like. Mm. He's twenty years of age, and is he better playing for Marseille this season, week in week out, than deputising for Ben White and Gabriel? I think he probably is. I oh yeah, is.
0: I was such an advocate of that loan. Like, it made yeah. complete sense. Like he was never going to get. I mean, no matter the thoughts about kind of the personal side of it from Arteta's perspective, he wasn't going to get into the team above White and Gabriel this season. So people would say, "Well, we didn't need to buy White." They would say that well, we could have saved fifty million quids and just kept Saliba. But mm. I mean, if you've watched like for people that have, and we do a monthly show updating uh, people on how Saliba's getting on and he's putting some really good performance. In fact, he's, I mean, he was on, there was rumors that he could have been called up this month to the French squad. Cause he's been that good. Mm. Um, but there's been a couple of games. Uh, there was a game against Lons that he was really, really quite poor in the, the last game in the Europa League against Lazio. He was at fault for both of Lazio's yeah, goals. He's not, he, he's not uh, he's not the finished article because he's 20. And people forget exactly. that, I think. So, exactly. I'd, I'd rather
1: yeah. see him making his mistakes for, for Marseille. Mm. You know, and, and coming back with another season under his belt where he's more experienced, more developed, where, like, it's easy to say, put Saliba in the team and everything will be okay. We'll forgive him everything. Will we, as a fan base? I don't think so. No. I don't think so. When a player makes a mistake you know, people are very quick to write them off. And I understood, I, like you, I'm sure, understood completely why people want to see Saliba in the team and want to see him in the squad. But at the same time, 20-year-old central defenders don't play week in, week out in the Premier League. They just don't. Fofana was playing for Leicester, really sad to see him get injured the way he got injured. But in general, in the top five leagues in in Europe, 20-year-old central defenders aren't playing a lot of minutes. And that is the the reality. So... We've got one, he's learning, he's at Marseille and hopefully, you know, he continues to have a good season and comes back to Arsenal. We can sort out his future because I think, you know, there's a really good player there, but let's, let's just dial back a bit because he's still very, very young.
0: Last quick one before we wrap up, then, because uh, a couple of people have asked this. Graham Calvo in the chat says, Andrew, who do you see as the long term replacements for Lacazette and Aubameyang? Who do we need in terms of four players? Quick and elusive, or strong and powerful, or a combination of both? As Nicholas also says, what would be Andrew's pick uh, for a striker?
1: That's a really good question. It's hard to
0: know exactly who.
1: Um, I think. Wh- have you not we- been
0: scouting for us? No, 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 no,
1: no, <laughs> sadly, sadly, not. Uh, I leave that to the experts, uh, to the YouTube experts, to do all the scouting and- what hmm. have you but um i don't know i think we've said this on the Arsecast cast text a couple of times that maybe michael arteta's ideal striker is something of a mix between lacazette and obamia what the two of them can hmm. bring you know um i don't think he's got his perfect striker to be honest what, what, what was the first question quick and elusive or strong and powerful or a combination of both yeah give yeah. me all of those things Give me quick, give me elusive, give me strong, give me powerful, give me good in the air, give me creative, give me a you know a, a big guy. I think um, there's a reason why we were after Tammy Abraham because
0: physically he fits the profile
1: mm. of player that we want.
0: It's Dusan Vlaovic sounds very Dusan similar. Vlaovic is
1: exactly yeah. the kind of striker that if you're if you're um, dreaming up the ideal. Uh, candidate, you know, what is he? 6'3", he's a big yeah. guy, he's quick, you know. Um, it is the next big purchase, I think, for this team. Uh, I don't think they're going to renew Lacazette. Obamiang uh, will have a year left on his contract come the summer. So the next big, big purchase for this team, given that we bought a goalkeeper, central defenders, fullbacks, Central midfielder in Parte and Sambi, and we've brought in Martin Odegaard. The next big signing has to be a striker. I don't know who it's going to be, but I'm really curious to see who it is because you're looking for somebody like these guys who's going to come in at the right age and be something of a a, a fixture in the team for you know not just one season, two season. We're not going to go out and buy a 28 year old. We're going to buy a 22, 23 year old, 24 year old striker who's going to give you five, six seasons. That's what I think we're looking for. I don't know who it is, uh, but I'm really fascinated to see, um you know, what player we bring in, when we bring them in and when maybe we, we, we bring them in as well. Like, I don't know. I don't expect it in January. I expect no. it to be the summer,
0: but you never know. Yeah. That Demaccio story about Vlaovic was intriguing to, to see that at that stage. Um, But I mean, I've, heard nothing about a january move that's the only link we've really seen so yeah it's uh if it does happen then maybe that's them showing the ambitions and seeing the opportunity to push for a top four place this season uh and that will show some some proactiveness i suppose but we'll only have to wait and see andrew thank yeah. you ever so much mate for coming on always appreciate your time tell people where they can find you
1: oh my pleasure thank you as always and uh thanks to all the guys uh watching and for the comments so you can get me at arsblog uh rsblog.com and our blog on Twitter. So uh, all the stuff, you'll find all the rest of it from there.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much again, Andrew. And uh, as I said, you can find them all at Arse blog and go listen to the Arse Cast. The new one is just out now. So make sure you have gone and listened if you haven't done so. Already, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. as always for our morning show. Um, but if you have enjoyed today's show, do drop a like on the video and subscribe to the channel if you are new around here also. We'll see you very, very soon. And as always, up the Arsenal.